Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, we'll be listening to PSY 352, Social Psychology with Professor Nathan Smith. I hope you listen and enjoy. And we're back, uh, starting off here talking about Christianity and conformity. So, uh, some measure of conformity is an integral part of living in an other-centered community, clearly. Um, conf- conformity um, to Christ, obviously uh, a good thing, a thing that we are trying to be doing better and better. Uh, the author discussed a need for more research on the productive ends of conformity, and that's maybe something that Christians, Christian researchers, um, can be aware of and can be thinking about. Um, conformity is often seen as a negative thing, as something that leads people to doing things more poorly than they would. Um, but we know that uh, we're trying to be conformed to Christ, which is a good thing. So uh, there's, uh, again, as we think about groups and groupiness, um, you can have a group of Christians who are trying to be conformed to Christ, but uh, where the group can be actually pulling them away from Christ's example um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, you could also have another group of Christians where they're pushing each other towards the example of Christ. So, uh, as the most things, that can, there are positive uh, potential outcomes and negative potential outcomes, and probably it would not be difficult for any of you to come up with examples uh, of groups you've been in that have... Um, particularly groups of Christians that have been more beneficial to you becoming uh, more Christ-like and less beneficial. Uh, So even amongst Christians who have the same goal, that doesn't necessarily mean uh, having the same goal isn't enough to uh, accomplish that goal. It takes more than that. Um, And that's where some of the individual leadership, individual morality, uh, that can help affect these groups can come in. Obedience, uh, a classic subject in social psychology. Uh, You should uh, pay very close attention to this section in your textbook about the Milgram experiment, etc. It's one of the things, uh, one of the classic studies of social psychology. We'll get to it in a minute. Uh, First, just a general definition. Uh, Obeying specific commands and what factors contribute to obedience, all sorts of things. So when an authority figure is perceived as legitimate and of high status, that can encourage obedience when the authority figure is close by, when the distance between the aggressor and the victim is significant. And when we talk about distance in that case, we're talking about, we could be talking about physical distance. We could also be talking about um, emotional distance. We could be talking about difference in class. The greater the difference in class, the less likely um, uh, the person is to um, want to protect the victim, etc. So we want to define that word distance very broadly. All kinds of ways that, that people put distance between themselves and others. Um, and finally, when others in the group obey. So the classic example, of course, is Milgram. Uh, Stanley Milgram, it's a book, I'm in my office in Beverly here, uh, one of the few social psych books on my shelf. Uh, You know, a lot of my books are at home, but one of the ones I always keep in my office. 
is the is Milgram's book on obedience because it's such a classic and I find myself going back to it. <clears throat> so hopefully you you read this and you figured out the situation. You have a teacher and a learner, um, and the teacher is subjecting the learner to increased shocks when the learner gives incorrect answers. The learner, of course, is in on the experiment. The teacher uh, is the person who is not in on the experiment, who is um, being tested by the experiment. Uh, and then uh, the, there are varying factors involved. Is anyone else rebelling? How close are they? Uh, Milgram has uh, Milgram himself um, had one experiment where they were actually touching. They were so close they were touching. You were touching the person you were electrocuting, which is kind of wild. But he found this physical difference thing very interesting. Uh, and then there's been a lot of other examples of this, but one Slater using similar um, found the similar result using a virtual female character on a computer, which is, brings up all kinds of interesting questions about the human mind. Uh, so the Christian view of obedience research, there there is a lot of focus on the negative uh, in this. And obedience can be a positive thing. Obedience to God, uh, obedience to the teachings of Christ can be a very positive thing. But again, it's something that doesn't get studied that often. So could uh, we could study the degree to which uh, the factors involved in destructive obedience are the same as those in positive obedience. And there has been some work on that. But another... Um, kind of subject where a Christian researcher might take a different tact uh, when looking at uh, these questions. Uh, we're going to pivot a little bit here towards attitudes um, uh, as another building block for things that we'll get to later, uh, bias, etc. So, um, why are attitudes important to study? Well, they are often they often, but not always, influence behavior. Uh, I might even say they very often, uh, very, very often, they influence behavior. So what, what some examples of uh, attitudes, political attitudes, gender attitudes, cross-cultural health, um, attitudes about death and dying, uh, attitudes about uh, particular groups, young people, old people, um, different uh, racial or ethnic groups, different economic groups. There's a lot of ways that attitudes can impact um, behavior. So we'll just start with the basic definition. Um, it is a summary evaluative reaction. What is an attitude? It's a summary evaluative reaction. Summary meaning kind of general, evaluative meaning placing a value in reaction, you have to have something to have an attitude about. So uh, you cannot have an attitude without some stimulus, some thing that you are um, discussing. Often ambivalent, meaning that there's both positive and negative stuff all rolled up together. Um, I would add often complex, often not well understood. And uh, there's this discussion of a fundamental need to evaluate. It suggests the importance of evaluating in our social world. Something that humans do all the time that we can't stop ourselves from doing is evaluating, always evaluating. And then there, there are individual differences in the tendency to evaluate. We all do it all the time, but some folks do it more or more strongly uh, or in, in somewhat different ways. And they often happen automatically and unconsciously, and that's very, very important to remember. Um, 
it's happening so often and so unconsciously that if you were to try and slow your thought process down um, and really start to think about what are the attitudes behind your thoughts and behaviors, you would find that it's happening, they're happening incredibly quickly uh, and often outside of your control. So how do you measure them? Mostly self-report, Likert scales, that is one to five, semantics, uh, strong versus weak, important versus unimportant. And how reliable are these measures? Uh, kinda reliable. You know, it depends. Is the person being honest and are they aware of their own attitudes is the, is the basic question. If someone's not aware of their attitudes, it doesn't matter how you're gonna, you can ask them. They're not gonna be able to answer uh, accurately because they don't know. And there's an awful lot of attitudes that people do not want to be honest about. Um, uh, so that can be awfully difficult to study as well. So what are the content of attitudes? We like to begin with the ABCs, uh, just a, a fun, simple way to remember. Affect, behavior, cognition. And these factors do not have to agree with, the, with one another. Many times they won't. You know, the, you have a cognition, you have a thought about something, but then your affect, your feeling, your emotion towards that thing is different and in conflict with your thought. Happens all the time. Uh, the mode model of attitudes. So our, our attitudes about a stimulus affect our perceptions of other things about that stimulus. The example given here, a cute mistake made uh, by a beloved roommate. So if you have a roommate who you love and they make a mistake, they leave some dishes in the sink, uh, you know, oh, you know, uh, you know, that's just Jim, that's the way he always is. Um, no problem, I'll just, you know, clean up his soup bowl, I don't care. Uh, he was probably doing something to help me anyway. One way of thinking, and then if you have a roommate who's driving you nuts, for one reason or another, they leave a bowl in the sink, it's just another piece of evidence that they don't care about being clean or don't care about you. Uh, so your attitudes, um, your attitudes can be the basis for some of this effect. And you know, if you remember um, the car, if you go back to our cognitive biases, um, your attitudes can be at the base of the lot of cognitive biases that we discussed in previous chapter. So how do we form and change attitudes? Social learning, observation, genetics maybe. There's some evidence that uh, things like political views can be predicted uh, genetically, which is interesting. Um, and automatic processing that is automatically and quickly. We form these things automatically and quickly and often unconsciously. So uh, another model on how attitudes are formed, the expectancy value model. We form overall summary judgments from several independent observations. Another model to think about the past model, past attitudes are still there, past. So even if you change an attitude, uh, your formal attitude is, your former attitude is still in you and still influencing you. Something we run into a lot in um, so in, in my work in the gambling field, uh, because people already have opinions on uh, people with addictions, people with gambling addictions particularly, uh, you know, people have beliefs about, you know, how slot machines work and how uh, the lottery works, and even if there's research that demonstrates that their opinions are not correct, uh, we find that 
it still is very hard to change those opinions. Even if they tell you they don't, they understand, they won't necessarily change it. Their past attitudes are still there uh, and are still uh, informing their thoughts uh, and feelings.